I'm excited to get to the teaching today because whenever I'm studying, especially uh, the book of Job, we're in Job still, um, it's an interesting book and there's been so much teaching on it, in my opinion, some poor, very poor teaching. And when I find new stuff in it that the Holy Spirit shows me, I get real excited, so I want to jump into that. But before I do, I do want to um, uh, welcome again, I know Lynn and, and team, and what was your name, sir? Chris. Chris from Bishop, and they're uh, Four Square Disaster Relief uh, Chaplains, and so they've come just to hang out with us. They're going to be going tonight to the Chico Four Square Church to do service with the Paradise uh, Four Square Church service tonight and be there with them. They've been able to work with the FEMA victims in um, in Chico and been able to pray and talk to them and comfort. They've been here to our, did you get to our fairgrounds here? Is that what you told me, Lynn? Um, to, and they got inside, which is awesome, and they got to talk and pray with people. So if you want to talk to them about anything that's on your heart or going on with this and you're struggling in an area, two fantastic, fully trained, spirit-filled people right there to help you um, get through that. So if that's something you need to, talk to them after service. We do and thank you guys for being here. We appreciate that. Um, yeah. Foursquare uh, four Disaster Relief is quite a quite an, uh, a, an organization. They, they do great. They've done a great job with us. They've done a great job with the Paradise Church. Um, they've supplied, people have given, you can give, uh, of course, money through there. And I know that both churches and our church has received funds from them to help with the fire victims. So I want you guys to know that we have had uh, already given several thousand dollars out to uh, fire victims, whether it be Walmart gift cards, getting them clothes and uh, gas and food and stuff. And that was their immediate need. And we did that actually two days after the fire, we were able to get up there um, and give some of that away. And we're going to continue to do so, but what we've learned um, through other fires is that the, the, the needs immediate are, are big, but there's also needs that continue on um, even through years later. Um, the Butte County fire that we had were about 150 homes, I believe. They're still rebuilding there. And so it's going to be years for Paradise because it was uh, mostly destroyed. Um, we also, just so you know, I have a friend... Um, uh, you may have seen him up here. He's the one that put up our sign, our new sign, you know, and he's done a lot, some construction work around here. He is a contractor from Roseville. He's got a big heart. And uh, I was actually with him this, was it Thursday or Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday. His uh, mom passed away. And, um, and that was, she was sweet, 94 years old. And uh, uh, got him in church when this guy was young. And, uh, and what a precious lady. And as we got to talk and and um, you know Jim Schneider, actually. Yeah, that was his mom, Jim Schneider. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so uh, talking, uh, Jim's always had a big heart for missions and to do helpful things. And he's just all over this thing. He wants to come up and build people's houses. He's just, and when Jim wants to do something, Jim does it. And he does it, he does it awesome. And uh, he, <laughs> one funny story with Jim is um, he, uh, he built Goldie Hawn's house in, in Hollywood back in the day. Um, and uh, can I tell you a funny story? <laughs> it cracks me up. So he goes and he's building Goldie Hawn's house, right? Huge mansion, right? And they finished the bathroom, $100,000 just for the bathroom. And uh, she didn't like it. So I want you to do this, change it, this is how I want it. Okay, that's going to be 100000 And okay, yeah, okay. They redo the bathroom the way she wanted it then. And she came in and said, I don't like it. Make it back the way it was. That's going to be another 100000 Do you realize it? So... Anyway, uh, he has he's got a, a, a interesting. He's built some interesting houses. He built a he built one for the prince of a of a Middle Eastern country, and uh, they finished the house. Had the pool in, right? The pool finished. It was too close to the house. Tore it out. Moved it back ten feet. Built a pool. 
wow. But anyway, Jim's a great guy, and, and what Jim, his heart has always been is to help people. And so we've already got a few houses lined up that we're going to um, start working in when we can. There's a lot of things that have to happen up there. Um, but we're going to start, uh, um, my sister being one of them, um, possibly Craig and Debbie's house. Um, my cousin Paige, um, she's in her 60s, lost her house. She's single. Um, uh, I felt personally I'm going to help her, but um, if, if I'll keep you up to date on how you can help those adventures. We'll probably have anywhere up from five to ten houses that we'll be doing um, with Jim. I'm going to be working with him because um, I know a ton of people, everyone I know. I youth pastored in Paradise for five years. I senior pastored in Paradise for five years. So I know a lot of people, everyone that I've talked to, for the most part, has lost their homes. So um, big deal, big recovery effort. But if you want to be a part of that in the future, there'll be days I can imagine of you know, helping clean up, maybe putting in a yard, doing all kinds of stuff, working with Jim, because we're going to try and not only help those people that have insurance, which is great, but there are a lot of people who did not have insurance, um, my brother being one of them. Um, and I love my brother. He loves me. But um, he didn't have insurance, man. But, it, you know, but still, there's a huge need there. And there's a lot of people. I, I ran into some old um, friends that didn't have insurance. So it happens. But um, we're going we're gonna to go the extra mile. And we're going to help people rebuild and bless them. Because blessing doesn't matter about what you did in the past. It's just blessing. And that's the cool thing about it. So anyway, just a little update there. All right. How are you guys enjoying this series on Job. Is anyone learning anything? Are you good? Good, good. Because Job is, is misunderstood. And today we're getting into the end part of Job and uh, we're talking about overall what is God really like? And that's an important question to answer because really the ministry of Jesus was really coming in and telling everyone, you guys all thought this is what God was like. Let me tell you what he's really like. Because they had misconception, and I was thinking about today, uh, for this Sunday, about the choice of whether we're going to be uh, humble or proud, or whether we're going to serve or be served. And we know Jesus made that clear. He said, you guys, I didn't come to, to lord it over you. I came to serve man. I came to be, I humbled myself to come down. I didn't come in the, the, uh, the in a sense, the prideful arrogance of being the creator. I could have come in because I am that. But he chose to humble himself. And, you know, remember when Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said, remember, uh, guys, if you want to be great, you got to be the servant of all. If you want to be, you got to be the least in my kingdom. And then remember, he washed their feet. And I think we have a choice. And what Jesus is saying is that, guys, you think that I'm going to bring my new kingdom in and we're going to, they, they, they thought really that Jesus would bring in a, a military kingdom and take over and rule right then and there. And, and Jesus said, no, 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 that's, you're thinking wrong. This is what God's really like. We're going to do it this way. We're going to take the kingdom over by serving and loving. Amen. We're going to serve people because remember our warfare is not against, princip against people. It's against principalities. So we're not going to battle people. We're going to serve and love them. But we're going to destroy and annihilate hell. Yes. So they kind of got it mixed up. And so Jesus is bringing us back to what is God really like? And many people, if you don't know what God is like, you don't know his character, you're not going to be able to stand and walk in the faith that you need to be victorious in this life if you don't know what he's like. And so that's why we ventured into Job a little bit. And because Job, I mean, talking about suffering, right? Talking about a guy that lost it all, <clears throat> we have people that lost it all in our church, but so did Job, and man, what a lesson we can get there. But I want to review, before we get into a few new nuggets about Job, because I'm excited to get to one. You ever, you ever want to get to something, but you got to do something first? 
you, you want to tell the story, but you got to do, uh, oh, it drives me crazy. Uh, I feel like a little kid up here. I just want to skip the pages. This is my favorite part right here, Daddy. I want to talk about this. Uh, sorry. Anyway. So I want to review a little bit, and I want to review some concepts that we've learned while talking about Job. And then the first concept that we learned is that you have to study, in your notes there, a study. You've got to study the Word of God. You've got to read, just, you can't just read it once and just assume in one version, then take it from your context and your culture and your upbringing and just think that's it. You've got to study. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no, no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the Word of truth. You've got to be able to really dig in because as we know, the Bible is written in different languages, has been translated many times, and, and even many translations, even the, the Holy King James Version has a lot of errors in it, right? So you can't even trust that. You've got to go down, you've got to get into the Greek and the Hebrew and really study the context of what's being said so you know really the heart of God, because as we learned in early Job, the heart of God could have been totally twisted because of one word. God said to the, to the enemy, to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And we think, because of our language, interpretation, and culture, that, wait, what is God doing? Is he, is he setting up Job? Is he offering Job to Satan to say, look how good my guy is, see if you can take him out? Like, what's happening here? And so we looked into the Hebrew, and we saw that the best translation for that word was, Satan, have you set your heart upon my servant Job? Okay, total different context, right? And so, and he, because remember, God had asked him, hey, where, where, where have you been? And Satan said, remember, walking around, to and fro, da 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 da. He was being a little kid. We know what he was doing. He was trying to find a way to get Job. He was walking around. Why do we know that? Because he said, you've protected him every side. I walk around and I can't even get into his life because you've been protecting him. Are you with me? So the, the way we look at scripture and the way we see stories can totally change the heartbeat of who God is and his character. And his character is so important because his character determines how strong our faith is. If we don't know who he is, we can't believe for things that are above our ability to believe. Amen? And there's a lot of things saying to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. How are you going to believe that if you're not confident in who you're believing? If Papa says, we're going to Disneyland, the only way they're going to believe Papa is if he's been faithful and true in the past of what he said and what he said happened. So now when he says, we're going to D-land, you know you're going. There's no doubt. Why? Because you know his character. You know what he's about. Are you with me? Okay, so this is important that we study and we know. Second Timothy goes on um, a little later in chapter 4 and says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke. And exhort with complete patience and teaching. For there is a time coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions. And we got a lot of people teaching God's word to suit what people's ears want to hear to make them comfortable. Because why? Our business model is that we got to grow a church and have a big budget and have a huge building. That's what churches, we're, we're American business, right? And so we have to preach that way and not offend anybody, else they'll leave and our budget goes down and it all goes down the toilet, right? Is that too harsh? Are you guys, oh, well, I don't care. I'm going to be harsh today. Got to work on that. All right. 
So you're with me, study. we got to study. So we've learned that with Job. I think a, the biggest learning I got from Job when I have studied it, and I'm continuing. I, I mean, I learned something Thursday that I didn't see in Job until I read through it. And it's like the millionth time I've read through this book. It's like trying to figure it out, right? And I read through it, and all of a sudden God said, look you there. I'm like, oh, my. And so we got to study. So B is um, the word, key word is permission. So in review, we've learned with Job, it's not, it's not about, God is not giving Satan permission to get you. Okay, and we, we settled that. We looked in the scripture. We saw a great example in James about that as well. He's not testing you. He's a good father, and you got to understand and believe that he is good in his essence. And then when you know that, then you start interpreting him correctly. Um, James 1 told us about that quite a bit. Luke 11.10 says this about the father's character, about who he is. Uh, For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? No. If then you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's a character quality. If you, you've got to have that verse in your heart. And you've got to understand that context and understand, look, this is God's Father. How much more, if we being evil, if you can be good to your kids, don't accuse God of doing something you wouldn't even do. Thought. Permission. God is not giving Satan permission. He's not up in heaven looking at you going, huh, I wonder if... Uh, hmm, hmm. I wonder if Paula's really as spiritual as she thinks she is. I think I'm going to throw a little test her way. How about Michelle? Uh, let's see what she's like. No, don't send any this way, man. James said, God doesn't test you. God already knows you. He knows your beginning from your end. There's no need for him to do that. Think about that. All right, let's move on. Um, uh, James 1:13 through 18, you can put that in your notes. That's what we reviewed before about every, uh, James 1, 17, uh, 1:17, every good gift and perfect gift comes from above. All right, C, friends. We talked about choosing your friends wisely. This was a key in Job's life because he got three friends that led him down the wrong path and got him in all kinds of trouble, right? And Psalms tells us this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. That's a process of walking, standing, sitting. You're getting comfortable. You, you become like the people you hang around. You get comfortable with what they're saying, and you can learn. And I'm telling you this morning, we learned from Job that you've got to be very careful who you're hanging around and who you're letting influence your thinking pattern because your eyes and ears go right to your brain and heart. And whatever you're allowing in is going to influence you to believe a certain way about the character of God, whether you like it or not. You can think that music from the past, your past old life, pre-Christian life, you can listen to all the secular music you want. You do have the liberty to do that. You have the freedom in Christ to listen to whatever music you want. It might not be the best idea, though, because whatever you allow in here and through here gets to here and changes what you think about him. So be careful what, who you hang around with. Joe was around three friends that he was fighting with, and they were telling him all kinds of lies because we know that because God in the end said, hey, you three friends, you screwed up. You're speaking out of you know, ignorance and corrected that. So 
Be careful who your friends are. And then D was your problem. Remember we talked about your problem wasn't God. Your problem isn't God. He's on your side. He's for you. God is for you. Well, let's move on. I want to go into, so after we review, let's go into this. I want to talk about, uh, it's all in the name. You know, we, we, in our review, we talked about the, the fourth friend of Job, and most people talk about the three friends of Job, but we know we had a fourth, right? We say Elihu, but it's out, pronounced more Elihu. Elihu is the more correct pronunciation. And this guy, we looked at his name, and I want to give you his, the notes on his name because I didn't do a good enough job last week. We didn't have that in the notes. So I want you to understand who this fourth guy is. Uh, Philippians 2.10 says about Jesus, so that at the, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. There's going to be a submission to the name of Jesus. And I want you to see what Elihu's name meant because many people just look at this uh, Elihu as someone that's immature, and was just arrogant. But if you really study this guy, this guy is a foreshadow of Christ and who he is. So check this out. Let's look at his name, Elihu. Elihu means he is my God. And El often is referred to God, and the hue it means the same, the same as God, the same as El, God. He is my God, like God. So it says, Elihu, the son of Barachel, the Buzzite of the family of Ram. So we have Elihu, he is my God. We have Barachel, which is God blesses or whom God blessed. Oh, sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Right? Then we got next, we got Buzzite, which is, you can relate into the words contempt and despised. Jesus was despised and rejected of men, Right? And then we, have, um, then we have from the family of, and some, rela- some uh, versions say from the kind or clan, which just means family. The family of, so who he's of, is ram, which means high and exalted. Hmm, I wonder who that could be. I mean, God's giving us so many insights into this guy, Elihu, that is crazy. But we looked at that, and the importance of that is because uh, what we're going to talk about today is Elihu's uh, segment of scripture that he talks. And then as we talked about, remember once Elihu talked, there was no gap from when he stopped talking and then God started talking. No breach, no person interrupted. The Father and him are one. And so I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the Father and Jesus being one John says, whoever does not love me does not keep my word, and the word that I hear is not my own, but it's the Father's who sent me. So Jesus only spoke what was God's heart. He saw what the Father was doing, and he did it. And we know this, that the Father, he did not come in his own authority. The word says that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, Jesus says, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the the miracles themselves. And so Christ and God being united as one, but three different persons in one, um, we see the same illustration in Job. And I want you to look at Job, and let's look at the end of the letters. You ever know, you ever learn in, uh, in my, I wish my wife was here because she teaches sixth grade English um, class in school, and you know, they, that's when they start really breaking down. You have your introduction, you have the body, right, the conclusion, and you know, they're, they're just doing basic literary uh, writing, 
And, you know, at the end of a letter or concept, you, you're always giving, you conclude, right? You bring in all the points from the body and take some from the introduction. You bring it, you bring a conclusion. And as I was reading through Job this time, I, I, obviously the Holy Spirit, he just said, hey, look at, look at what they both ended with. All right, let's see what they both ended with. What kind of concept or argument or, you know, what were they trying to say? You know, because usually you sum it up at the end. Because they said a lot of stuff, and it's, some of it's a lot of poetic type writing, so it's kind of hard. But look at the end of Elihu's um, uh, writing in Job 37, 23. So he ends his talk this way. He says, in Job 41, 33, says, On earth there is not his like, speaking of God, the Father, a creature without fear. He see, um, Excuse me, wrong one. I'm on the wrong one. 37, 23, uh, he says, The Almighty, we cannot find him. He is great in power. Justice and abundant righteousness he will not violate. Isn't that interesting? And that's not the last verse, but that's the second to last verse. Isn't it interesting, though, that, that Elihu says about God that, hey, Job, justice and abundant righteousness he will not violate. Saying to Job, you're not going to be violated. You are not going to... Um, all the experience you've been through, everything that you've been a part of, God's not going to violate. He's going to remain just and righteous in all the things that he's doing and working with you. And then check out 24. Therefore, men fear him. He does not regard any who are wise in their own conceit. So he brings up the issue in the spirit of pride. He brings up as his last words that come out of his mouth, he says, men fear him, God, he does not regard. He doesn't deal with people who are wise in their own conceit. Now, jump a few chapters down to Job 41, 33, and we see the Lord's final words about Job, speaking to Job. And he says this in, in 41, 33, on earth there is... Not, like, uh, uh, not his like, talking about Leviathan. We'll talk about that in a second. A creature without fear. He sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. So here we have Elihu talking and saying, look, if you're arrogant and prideful, God's not going to deal with you. It's all through scripture. I mean, we could do hundreds of verses. If you humble yourself, God will exalt you. All right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Humility comes before honor. So we know that a humble, contrite heart is, is always key with God. You know, the Bible Dictionary uh, says this about the word pride in Job 41. It says this. <laughs> I thought it, was, it just sounded funny, but totally real, right? It says, the improper state of self-confidence, which is not warranted. The Bible Dictionary. You don't, you don't have it. <laughs> So for, for, the, for the Hebrew word pride in Job 41, 34, it, it means this for pride, the improper state of self-confidence, which is not warranted, and so exhibits haughtiness and arrogance. And I thought, wow. So here we have God working with Job as he's going through this massive destruction. Most of the book is about Job and his three friends ranting and raving to each other about how Job thinks he's righteous and didn't do anything wrong, and he needs a fair judge. He, he does cry out for a mediator, but, man, even if I could present my case, I'd lose anyway because it's not fair, and he was whining, and all his friends are saying, well, 
since, it, since it, you got evil happen to you, you must be really, really bad because the really, really bad sins get really, really bad judgments all the time. You know? So they were black and white. They couldn't see it. They weren't seeing the, the justice, the mercies, and all that of God. And, and plus, we remember, too, when we first talked about Job, this was written back in you know, early Genesis, so a long time, even before the law, most, most uh, theologians say. So they didn't have the law, really. They didn't have much from God as far as we do today. We've got scriptures. We've got the Holy Spirit. We've got the gift. I mean, we got so much from God now. But back then, he didn't have a whole lot. But pride was the issue that came in with Job at the very end of what Elihu said and what the Lord said. And I thought, you know, that's kind of interesting that they each concluded with the same. It just shows the unity between God and the Father, right? There's, the, there's no break between them, right? In fact, I want to let you know that it was interesting because when Elihu started his argument, and I think chapter 32, he named, he named his name and then he said he burned with anger. Right? And he said anger three times in that section when Elihu first came on the scene. And then later on as I was reading, I read where God said he was burning with anger towards Job's three friends. And I think that's in 42. And I thought, huh, I wonder if that's the same word. Oh, yeah, same word. So God's anger that he burned, it's, it's that nostril firing burn, you know, that kind of anger, is the same one that the father had that the son had. The zeal of the Lord will consume him. Uh, that was said about Jesus. So they were united in their anger towards this sin, towards this unrighteous pride that was rising up. Very interesting. And so we see that, and so I want you to understand that those two things give us a great glimpse into seeing what was the biggest issue with Job? Was it, was it his pride? What, what does pride really, really say? I'm gonna, I want to talk about that in a second. But I want to go to now is the, Le the Leviathan mystery. Because this was in God's last little speech to Job. And, and I've read it, and, you know, and he talked about other you know, monstrous creatures that they don't really know what the word is. But, and, and he goes on for chapters about, I mean, just read the first few verses of, of Job 41. Can you draw out Leviathan? Job, God's talking to Job. Like, basically, get up, boy. Put your pants on. You're about to get a whooping. That's what God said. Like, you know, and yeah, my translation, yeah. Uh, and then God said, can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope around his nose or pierce his jaw like a hook? He will make, uh, he will, uh, will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak a soft word? Will he make a covenant with you to take him uh, as servant forever? Will you play with him as you do a bird? Will you put him on a leash for your girls? Like, if you go on, you'll see this Leviathan had scales, unbeatable spears were nothing to it. You could not tame him. Fire came out of his mouth. I mean, you're talking about all these crazy things, and you're thinking, why is God talking about this creature? And, and, and I, I truly just kind of read through it, and, eh, you know, when you don't get, you know, it's like numbers, you know, when you read through numbers, you know, you read the genealogies, and you're like, there's some good stuff in there, but I don't really get it, so I'm just going to skip and keep going. And, and that's okay, but as you read through more and more of the word, the Bible even comes, even those weird things come alive. And, and I just had one of those moments Thursday, and, and God said, look, look at the last verse again. So I looked at the last verse, and I said, Job 40, 41, 33, on earth there is not his like, referring to Leviathan, this huge, massive creature, right, evil creature, a creature without fear. Verse 34, and, and then the Lord said, look at that. And I said, he sees everything that is high, Okay, this is an animal, right? Okay. 
He sees everything as high, and he's king over all the sons of pride. So I looked up the word for high, and that really means, it's more so, it can mean tall, but it means more so haughty and arrogant and puffed up. And then, and he is king over all the sons of pride, and, and then it hit me. He's referring to Satan. <laughs> he's referring to the enemy about this Leviathan, and I thought, well, wait, what, why are you referring to him here? And, and, and then it came, it's like, look, the pride that Job had was that he could do it on his own. He thought he could do enough good deeds and be righteous enough on his own. Remember, in the beginning, he went and made sacrifices for his kids every time. That was his ritual. Every time they got a party, got wild, did probably some bad stuff, I better go, I better go do this, I better go do the, the offerings, offerings. And, and it was good in his heart. He was a good man trying to do what is right in his time and what he knew. But in his heart, he was trying to go, if I keep doing this, then that'll keep. Because in Job, I think three, it says, that Job said, the very thing I feared has come upon me. And so he was afraid that if he didn't keep up this work and effort, that he wouldn't get God's grace and something bad would happen. So he had to keep working, keep performing, keep doing this right. And, and, and some of us think, oh, poor thing. And in a sense, yeah, when you try and work in all your effort to, to be righteous in front of God, it's a lot of work and poor thing. It's, it's actually stupid to do because you can't ever do it. You can never do enough good works to earn God's love and his favor. You can't perform good enough. You can't do it for the rest of your life and do enough good works to be righteous in your own stance with God. It's never going to happen. And that's why God made the Leviathan this huge, unpassable creature and told Job, you can't stand against him without me. <laughs> On your own, Job, you are broken and you cannot be righteous. You cannot enter into relationship with me unless you are a part with, that, with this creature, Satan, since he came and deceived Adam and Eve. Ever since, everyone that was born was born into a kingdom of darkness. And no matter how many good works you do in that kingdom, that kingdom cannot transform you or transport you into the new kingdom. You must be born again. You cannot do it on your own. You've got to go through Christ. You've got to come into his kingdom, and you can work as hard as you want, do a bunch of good deeds, give all your money away, do great things for him. But if you don't surrender your heart and go through Christ, you're just full of pride. You're full of pride because you think you can actually do enough good stuff, and that's where you're wrong. You can't. So I want to read from you because we've been doing our, our journaling at our church. We, I've been challenging you to spend at least 30 minutes. That's a never-ending challenge until we all are sitting at the feast with Jesus. Um, we need to seek him. We need to get in front of him. We need to hear his voice. And we're, we're spending time listening, not reading. We, we're reading the Bible, yeah. We're studying. We're doing all that. We're going, doing all the stuff. But we're listening with paper or computer, and we're quiet, and we're saying, Holy Spirit, what do you got for me today? Because he is the mentor of mentors. He loves you. He wants to lead you into truth. He wants to speak to you. You should know his voice. If you don't, he will train you to hear his voice. He has many things to say to you. God is not a God of few words. He is creator. And so I want, you to, I want to challenge you to keep pressing in. Don't give up. Don't get busy during the holidays. 
and put the Lord on the back burner. This is not the time to do this. It's like any good diet. you got to go through the holidays. <laughs> if you keep waiting until the holidays are over, then comes the birthday. Then comes the spring break. Then comes summer. There's always an excuse. I had, we had yogurt Wednesdays as mine. I couldn't do a diet ever because every Wednesday I got to have yogurt <laughs> with toppings and stuff. So, so press into your journaling. Don't give up. Get in the word. God wants to talk to you. He does speak to you. And so here's what the Lord was saying to me. And, and, and the only reason I'm saying is because he specifically told me to read it to you, else I wouldn't because I don't really like sharing my journal with y'all. You know, it's kind of your journal, you know, it's like... It's like seeing your messy room or something, you know. Like my closet. I don't know. Don't look at my closet. <laughs> so here, here it goes. So just listen, enjoy, and you can critique it, I'm sure. Uh, many try and pay their debt off by doing good deeds, thinking that if they balance the scales or lean them towards themselves, they are paid in full. The problem is, is that you cannot pay off your own debt. Only Jesus can pay for your debt, and it is only through Christ, Jesus Christ, that you can be born again into the kingdom of my dear son. This is God speaking to me. You must receive it by faith and not works. No one can boast in my presence about how they earn their way into heaven. Entrance into my kingdom is a free gift by grace through faith. There is only one way. Good works would only work if they could erase bad ones. The problem is that once you've sinned, you are a sinner by nature, and only Christ can change that. A lifetime of good deeds, giving money, feeding the hungry, giving to the poor cannot change who you are. You, um, who you are can only be changed by me, the one who gave himself for you, the one who ransomed you out of slavery and purchased your freedom to change kingdoms. Once you sin, you are automatically part of Satan's kingdom, and no amount of good deeds can change the kingdoms for you. In fact, you were all born into the authority of Satan and his rule. Good works can't change that. Only faith in the Son of God can change that. You can, only be, uh, you can be a really nice person, full of good works, loving thoughts, but still be part of this world's kingdom. For unless you go through the gate, you cannot enter the new kingdom, no matter how good you are. Yes, Doug, it is the old classic, but so true in your time, as it has been for many years. Don't forget to preach this, uh, this in your clothes on Sunday. I need for my people to hear this this week. Some reason, God, someone here needs to hear this. I have put it in your heart deeply because I want it to be ingrained in there. The enemy will always use this tactic to get people walking outside of my grace and trying to earn my love. The big trick is that in the midst of it, you think you are doing so well by earning and working, but they are not. Only works done out of a relationship with me are good works that last. All others are only prideful attempts to do it your way. Pride says, I can do this my way and in my time. Job had pride and thought he could earn my love and please me with his own efforts. Pride makes you foolish. Look at Satan, very intelligent, but in the end, the most foolish. Pride blinds you and causes you to think you can do it on your own without my help. Humility is the beginning of wisdom, and pride does come before the fall. And I wanted to share that with you because God's been really deepening my heart about 
this effort of works thing because it creeps back in the church so readily. It did. We talked about Galatians where it crept in there. And, and I think in our society now, we get so focused on the outside that we forget about the heart change that needs to happen on the inside. And so I hope that ministered to someone in here to take that because some of you are working so hard to earn and perform for God that you have never been able to enter into the rest of Jesus Christ. When you, by faith, get saved, you enter into a rest from all your works. It's a rest because now you realize, I don't have to perform anymore. Now all the stuff I do is just out of the greatness of God's goodness, and it's stuff I want to do because of what he's done, not because of what I need to do so that he'll like me. Now I'm working out of a heart that's just, oh, God, you've done so much for me. Now my good works are like, oh, yeah, this is just a natural response to God's great love for me instead of a response to my inward fear that I'm not good enough for God and that somehow if I do good enough things in my life and if I, and even Christians, I'm not talking about just non-Christians that are trying to earn their way. I'm talking about Christians, man, that know Jesus, that are trying to read. If they don't read their Bible enough, they feel guilty. If they miss a church service, they don't do all these Christian things. They get so worked down and they're so in bondage to the spirit of the law that they forget the spirit of the law of grace about Christ and entering into a rest and living your, when you start living your Christian life out of a rest in faith, you have so much more energy for God's work. If you don't, you spend all your energy trying to please God and perform for him, which takes away the real ministry that he wants you in. He doesn't want you operating the ministry of works because Jesus did all that. You're doing a work that's already been done. You're double, don't you want people to do double work? Wait, let's all do, let's be efficient. Jesus already did your work. Now he wants all your energies focused on the true ministry of the spirit, which is each other, is to love each other and minister one to another, disciple one another. Are you with me? That's where our effort should be at, is getting people saved and discipled and transformed and set free from the bondage of hell, not trying to so worried and worked up in our own life that we're just trying to please God every day. And of course, that never lasts, Right? cyclical, we go through that. Many of us Christians have been through that in our life. We try so hard and we, and we feel, oh my gosh, I haven't read my Bible for two weeks, so I'm not even Christian anymore. <laughs> totally different, so we've got a few more minutes, but I just want to pray real quick for anyone that's going to, can we all just bow our heads, close our eyes. Father, I'm just going to do a, a mini little, no, we're not ending, Chris. We're not ending. Um, this is a mini pre-end. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. Um, so seriously, let's just pray. Father, Lord, you know, and, and you know right now with heads bowed, I close, just between you and God right now, if that's something you've been battling and fighting, and Lord, I just speak release to those people right now that are going to, they don't even have to raise their hand, but in their heart they know. They're, they're confessing. You could just say it with your mouth. Oh, Jesus, that's me. I'm, I'm trying to earn you, and I want to just receive you in faith right now. If that's you, receive him in faith. I break and I bind every spirit of pride right now that would keep people from understanding the work of grace in their life. And I just speak over them right now, freedom and rest in Jesus Christ. I say, blood of Jesus, come and cover sin. All the work that you did, Jesus, I speak over every individual here now in Jesus' mighty name. We receive it by faith, not by works, God. All of your work done. We are clean and righteous in your sight because of what you've done, and we know we can never do it on our own, so we 
freely surrender to you, God. You are our righteousness, Lord. We receive that, and we throw out every form of pride in our thinking, every, every arrogant thought that tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of God, which would say Jesus is the only way. It's him that paid the price. It's him that lived perfectly for us, and we and ourselves can do nothing, no nothing. Every work we've done is of no good value. Christ has done every good work that is needed for us. We walk in that and receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Sermon number two. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. We got a few more minutes. I'm surprised. We got like 10 minutes. My alarm's going to go off and tell me to shut up pretty soon. All right. So I want to look in closing at four quick things. I want to look at Job's response because this is pretty cool. How did Job respond to God? Um, Let's look at that. So I want you to notice first about Job's response in uh, Job 42, that Job's first response opened the door for the next. So with God, a lot of times it's on building blocks. And until you humble yourself and get right with him, you can't. So it's kind of like, like the faithful with the few before you're, he gives you more. God won't give you more until you're faithful with what you got, right? And so this Job's response, first response opens up to the second one and the third and the fourth. But Job's first response, as we talked about, was humility. So write that in there. Humility is the key. It's the beginning. You've got to humble yourself before God. You've got to humble yourself if you want to be lifted up. Proverbs 18, 12 says, pride first, then the crash. But humility is precursor to honor. Okay? Matthew 23, 12 says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And then in James 4, which the reason, remember we talked about James was because James was only, the only, one of the only New Testament writers that actually quoted from Job. And so and it's, it's interesting because in James gives us a lot of insight into answers for Job about his situation. And look in James 4, remember it says, uh, therefore God says, uh, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil Job didn't know how to do that much because he didn't have a lot of instruction on that in his day. But we got a lot of instruction on that. And he will flee from you. Whoa, wait, wait. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will most of the time flee from you. Okay, just checking. Grammar here, okay. And then verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Uh, Verse 8, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Does that sound like what Job did? Look what Job did in verse 42. He first said, then then Job answered the Lord in 42 verse 1. In in verse 2 he says, I know that you can do all things and and that no, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's a humbling statement. He's saying, God, you can do it all. Remember the New Testament, said, they said, God, how is this possible that anyone be saved? Remember the camel and the eye of the needle? How can anyone be saved? And God said, oh, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So humility brought in the possibility of God. It's humility that brings that in um, into our lives. And so humility is that first step that opened the door to the next And which is cool because a humble, contrite spirit opens up to so much of God. And what it did for Job, look at what it did for Job in verse 42, 3. He says, 
Who is this that hides counsel from knowledge? Now, Job's quoting himself what he said. Therefore, I have uttered things I did not understand, thanks to wonderful for me, which I did not know. Verse 4, he says, Hear, and I will speak. I will question you and make it known to me. Verse 5, Job said, I have heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes see you. What did humility bring? Humility brought an encounter. It's a humble heart that brings an encounter with God. That's why we're dealing with pride. He was lowered and humbled by meeting God, right? He responded correctly, humbled himself. God, you can do anything, man. I screwed up. And then God's like, boom, he's going to come in and his presence came. So uh, the encounter was a product of humility. You got to be born again. You got to go through Jesus He's the only way. You must go through him. But it is through humility that we humbly, all of us, come to Christ in humility at one point in our life, realizing that we're in need of a Savior, right? That we can't live on our own. And then next, after that, once you encounter his presence, isn't it true when you get in the presence of God, the true presence of God should, in fact, bring repentance, right? Shouldn't his presence bring repentance? Just being, in, I, I think of the, I don't remember when we talked about the uh, praise and worship series we did, we showed a picture of a car window, right? Perfectly car, you're driving, and then all of a sudden the sun hits the window, and then you see all the dirt and marks and stuff. The presence of God is a lot like that. When we're in his presence, it's just, he's so holy, pure, and awesome, and powerful, we just, oh my gosh, and it should cause a natural response to that should be, I'm sorry, Lord. Like, his presence should be that powerful. That's like when in true presence with the Lord, that's when people start, you just start weeping sometimes. You start getting on your knees because you're just in his presence and he's so glorious. Job 42, 6 says this, Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job repented. Job realized his pride. Job realized the presence of God was powerful. He realized God could do all things. He realized he had been seeing it from the different wrong perspective. Romans 2, 4 says this, or do you not presume on the riches and the kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? You see, in his presence, Job realized God's love and his kindness, and that led him to repentance. 2 Corinthians 7:10 says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads unto salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. It's the godly sorrow. God, anyone can be sorry. You've all been told from someone, I'm sorry, and you knew they were just sorry they got caught or sorry that it's done something, but they weren't truly godly repenting, and repenting, as we know, is a, is a changing of directions. It's, it's a thinking completely different about the way you thought before. You were going this way, thinking this way, you, were, you encountered God, and you, oh my gosh, and I repent. And it's just not turning, because before you were going this way, repentance is stopping, turning around, and now moving forward with signs of repentance. Repentance alone, just saying sorry to God, is not complete. you got to say, God, I, real, I repent and now I'm going to start doing and thinking and acting differently. If your actions never change, I always question true repentance. Listen to what Luke 3 says. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came to him, this is John talking, to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Bear fruits in keeping 
with repentance. Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, bear fruit. You have to produce good fruit from your repentance. If you turn and change and there's no fruit bearing, there's no repentance. You're just saying sorry. That's the world's way. Sorry. I got a text from my wife. Many of you know the story. Some of you would be shocked they don't know me. My wife cheated on me, my, my ex-wife, of course. Cheated on me, had a baby, awful thing, miserable time. I got a text. Sorry, I might have been a little indiscreet or something. That was the text I got. That was just regular, oh, I'm sorry I got caught, or I'm sorry, yeah. No, that's not sorrow. True repentance is saying, man, yeah, I messed up, and I'm going to do it differently now. I'm going to walk differently. I'm going to think differently. I'm going to allow the Spirit of God to transform me into a new creature, into a new person that does new things. Are you with me? And that's what happened with Job. He, he got it. Man, he repented. He, I despise myself. He said, oh, I can't even. In his God's presence, sometimes you'll have that. And the fact that you don't think that, sometimes maybe you should get in his presence. Because when you get in his presence, no matter how good, good life's going, just his presence, and it's a good thing. It's not like this bad thing. You want to feel this. You want to. It's a beautiful thing. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is awesome and powerful. Condemnation is not Holy Spirit. That's the enemy. Conviction is love saying, turn this way. It's better for you. It's good for you. So he repented. So he, he humbled himself. He encountered God. He repented. And then this is kind of cool. What that led into now is compassion. He, he realized Look what I've come out of. Now I have true compassion for others. Now I realize out of my pride now, and I'm into, I've humbled myself. Oh, I recognize that evil pride. Now I'm into humility and the presence of God. Now I know my purpose. Now my purpose is to serve and have compassion for other people. It's not about me anymore. Oh, oh, opposite of pride. Me, me, me. What does Satan say? I will be like you, God. I will exalt myself above your throne. I will, me, I, I. But Job recognized and said, I'm not in that camp. You, you, you. You, you, you. It's about you now. You realize that you are a vessel that has been saved by his grace. Now true compassion can really flow from your life. You can really change and help people change because now you know what it's like to suffer in this. And some of you have gone through horrendous stuff in your life. And if you'll surrender to God and let him wash over you with his love and get out of your doubt and self-condemnation and get into grace, God will take that awful thing that happened to you and let you be a compassionate person that helps someone else get through life and change a life. Guys, I'm not saying I had it worse because I haven't. But I drove down to the Butte County. I lived in paradise when this happened. And I drove down the Butte County Courthouse because I was losing my wife. I was losing my kids. I, I was going to lose half my salary or more. And I thought, I'm screwed. And as I was crying my eyes out, coming down to Butte County Courthouse, the Lord said, am I sufficient? And I said, wow, actually, you really are. I mean, and I was at, for me, that was, there was nothing else. 
when my kids were all little, I mean, the thought of them not being raised by me and some other guy, in the, I mean, it, all those thoughts coming flooding in, I was a wreck. But the Holy Spirit ministered to me says, am I enough for you? Am I sufficient? When you have nothing, am I good enough for you? Because that's when you get it. That's You're enough. I don't need anything. That's why this couple can come to church the Sunday after the house burns down and they lose everything because God's their sufficiency, not a house. That's, you know all this stuff is burning, don't you? These chairs, this building, this whole earth going bye-bye. Don't get your heart on things here. Get your heart on the things in the future. God is preparing a place for you. He is preparing you for an eternal life of co-heirship with his son, Jesus Christ. And if you get your eyes on this world, you're going to miss the training that God has for you that is going to be glorious on this life and even more glorious in the life to come. So get your eyes on Jesus, and that will turn into compassion for others. Look at what Job did. In verse, uh, or, or chapter 42, I want to read where, verse 10. Well, let's read a little before that. Let's go to verse, um, let's go in seven. So the, the Lord said, spoke to Job, he said, to Eliphaz the Temanite, he said, my anger burns against you and your, against your two friends. For you have not spoken to me what is right, as my servant Job has. What did Job say that was right? That's talking about after chapter 42. <laughs> he didn't say what was right before 42. What did he say was right? You can do anything. I despise myself. I'm yours, God. That's what Job said, right? Are you with me? The 20-so the, the chapters before, he was, God, you don't care. You're doing this and blah, blah, blah. Just want to make that point. Now, therefore, take seven bulls, seven rams, go to my servant Job, offer up burnt offerings for them yourselves. My servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly, foolishness, in pride. For you have not spoken to me what is right, as my servant Job has, which was repenting, humbling himself. So Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bilead, the Shuite, Zophar, the Namathite, went to, and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted their prayer. Ten. Listen to this. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. Wait a minute. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. So he's suffering. <laughs> and the way out of this suffering was when he had compassion and said, I'm going to pray for my three friends that were just drilling me, telling me all kinds of stuff, how bad and evil, and I was so mad at these guys. He didn't hold the offense. He was going to say, I'm going to forgive these guys and pray for them. And once he did that, once he walked in obedience, showed compassion, the compassion of God towards his friends, God restored everything and more. And the Lord gave Job twice as much. I mean, if that doesn't give you a little glimpse into the heart of God, I don't know what does. Twice as much? Your response to God in the midst of your suffering will determine his. Think about that. Your response to God in the midst of your suffering will determine his response to you. Let's pray. Father, we love you.
We thank you so much, Father. For your grace and mercy, God, that shows us our pride even when we don't recognize it. Lord, it's, we know it's one of the most sneaky devices of the enemy to be so proud and arrogant that we don't even recognize it ourselves. So, Lord, we ask right now that you would search our hearts, Father God, that you would right now, by the Spirit of the living God, examine us. As I know you already are in some hearts right now, God, you're raising up dross. You're lighting your fire of your presence in our hearts, and you're bringing up stuff that you want us to deal with and get rid of, Lord. And if there's any pride, Lord, I speak to that spirit of pride right now to be broken down, and exposed in Jesus' name. Lord, in all of our hearts and minds, let the, any area, attitude, voice of pride be exposed in our heart that we might see any area that we are not seeing correctly, where we are having a prideful attitude. Lord, and we come humbly before you, God, because we know that in, a, in and of ourselves, we can't see it in our own accord. We need your help to see. We need your help to see. Holy Spirit, help us see what we cannot see, God. Lord, we pray as this week goes on that you would continue to work as you're working now in our minds and our hearts to humble ourselves before you, to continue in an attitude of repentance and renewal, to continue in a, an encountership with you, a, a daily encounter with you as we read your word and pray and spend time in your presence, God, that we may stay free from the, the temptation to work in pride and the temptation to not forgive and to hold on to offenses and not operate in a spirit of compassion. Lord, there's a lot of hurting people around us. There's a lot of, a lot of people that are hurting in here, God, and that can't even see it. We need you, God. We cry out for your mercies, O oh God, to shower your grace on us, your grace of conviction to help us see things. Oh, and Father, we pray right now, if there's anyone in the room that has never surrendered their hearts fully to Jesus, and today you say, man, I want to surrender. I, I, I notice the pride. I see my own efforts to do my own salvation I'm not very good at this, and I want Jesus to take over. I want him to be my salvation. If that's your heart this morning, would you raise your hand, and we're going to pray with you after service. Anyone here? Any, anyone else? Yeah, that's me. I'm done doing my own deal. I'm going to surrender to the Most High God. I'm not going to walk in pride anymore. I'm done with that. Not worth it to me. Anybody? Well, Father, you see our hands and our hearts. We love you. We ask that you go with us this week. Keep us close to you, God. We want to be one with you. Help us find a need this week and meet it. Help us find someone hurting and help them heal. God, help us show compassion like Job did, Lord. After he lost it all, lost kids, lost a bunch of stuff, God. But Lord, you helped him find his true purpose. And that was to be a blessing and to be a vessel of honor for your use. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We pray that in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.